Welcome to Hunter and Craft Radio. Hey everyone, Chad McCaffrey back with another episode of Hunter and Craft Radio. In this episode, Matt and myself sat down with Luke Wilms. Luke is the co-founder of Mubuntu Lifestyle, advisor to Bound and the Bound Foundation, and assistant director for the Slama Shield Foundation. In this episode, we talked to Luke about his background and many years growing up in Africa, time spent in Zimbabwe, Uganda, and Kenya during his father's time researching HIV and AIDS in those regions. We talk about his new company, Mubuntu, focused on global travel and tourism, African coffee and art imports, as well as an apparel line. We talk about why entrepreneurs are the new artists and why creativity in Luke's world comes from growing up in the arts. And as always, we talk about productivity and a lot of awesome tips to take to your day-to-day life. Be sure to check out the post at hunterandcraft.com. Lots of awesome show notes and links there. Without further ado, here's Luke. Luke, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, always like to give people a little bit of intro, um, kicking it off. Why don't you just give them a little background on yourself and we can start with that. Cool. I think, I think my story starts at uh, the age of seven, really, my first time in Africa. Uh, Harare, Zimbabwe. It's a weird time to be in Africa near the end of the apartheid. My dad was doing research on HIV and AIDS. Um, and sort of the behavioral determinants of the virus, sort of working with traditional healers and sort of the epistemic differences between sort of um, our cultural understandings, per se, surrounding the virus. I kind of got a little theological in it as well, sort of how these traditional healers were dealing with sort of witch doctors and all the sort of uh, preconceived notions of how one would become to the virus and, and sort of be exposed to the virus. So, you know, I'm, I'm seven years old and living in Harare, Zimbabwe, building basketball nets out of cardboard boxes and, you know, <laughs> hockey sticks, for us, you know, tennis racks, hockey sticks, and so on and so forth. And sort of, how long were you there when you were really young? We were about six months, first time. Six months yeah. at a time, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my, I was, my brother and I both brought out of school. My mother did. She had the 365 things to do with your kid book that she brought out. So yeah, we were doing one of those. And we're living in this, this, you know, this house downtown Harare. And you know, two years earlier, Mandela was just getting out of prison, and two years later, he's, he's, uh, you know coming to power. So it's kind of like this really weird time we're living in Africa, especially with the whole white farmer land disputes happening in sort of the late 90s. Um, where, so there was a lot of unrest um, and protests happening at the university downtown down the street. So my little brother and I walked to the store and sort of those are the memories we have is living in Africa. Him and I, three years of old, three years of age, and I'm seven, and we're walking to the stores downtown Harare, Zimbabwe, which is super safe amidst all this sort of crazy stuff happening. And so we Go back to Africa one or two times a year. My dad's research sort of expanded. He founded the Islamic Shield Foundation in 1992, which I'll get into a little bit later. But uh, let's fast forward to high school university. I uh, did an art specialized high school and they did an undergrad in uh, global studies and communications from Wilfrid Laurier. Moved to Vancouver, uh, sort of music sort of brought me there, sort of new environments. Sort of got uh, exposed to getting, trying to start two different startups in the travel industry, which I'll also touch on later. But ultimately it was, uh, you know, looking at my master's thesis that really had me starting to think about the critical aspects of entrepreneurship, maybe social innovation, all the rest of it. So I did a thesis on sort of exploring the innovative ways to communicate 21st century paradigms to a Western world and a Western audience. And that sort of became... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's break that down. 21st century paradigm. Basically, it was looking at, you know, the general public was getting a a lot smarter with how perceived charities to be, where charitable spending went. 
So, and, and also the programming, right? Like it was a lot of the stylish, is your charity bottom up? What does that mean? Is it grassroots? Is it organic? All this stuff. And I think what I wanted to come across is how ideas are expressed after being on a trip, say on a safari or a social tour or ethical safari, if you want to call it that. When you come home, how do you expose the paradigms and the programs that seem to be working to a Western audience so that if people wanted to start something here, you know, it would those ideas would be translated into something so that's how working. those stories get um, presented when you know you come back to the Western world, kind of thing. Is right, that, right. Okay. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. So then, it's after that, it was sort of it was game on for us trying to start a company called uh, the the Safari Project and Shield Safaris, which was more of like a, a focus on marketing the animal aspect and not so much the social aspect, but. Uh, when I was in Vancouver, I was also exposed to a mentor, and as you guys talk about on this, this, this podcast, there's a lot of finding mentors to help you find your way. So I, I found a good mentor and a guy named Stephen Borrega, who we kept in touch. Like He was sort of intrigued, but I'd always walk into his office and be like, Steve, what's going on? Like I got this cool project this happening. Is school? No, Stephen Borrega, he was a, he's now the CEO of Archive Resources. But he um, was working on sort of private equity stuff in Vancouver, not really in my realm at all, sort of social mining stuff. And sort of one day he was he approached me. He's like, Luke, I have this 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 group of of kids. The uh, the Ugandan baseball team wants to play the Canadian team, and they need to see some social innovation. Can you take them and be in charge of their sort of social social exposure to your programs in Africa? So that was sort of how um, I got exposed to sort of Stephen's world in the uh, social mining, if you want to call it that. Sort of finding new ways to uh, do resource extraction that work for people on the ground as well. Um, so I was, I would guess I'd say crucial in the uh, implementation of founding Rakai Resources and sort of becoming their sort of director of social programming. We're three years into um, sort of uh, acquiring permits and licensing for, for sort of resource exploration. We're not extracting anything, but you would ask Steve himself, and he, maybe you guys have him on the show sometime. It's a lot of it's been lead up to sort of finding um, doing sort of assessments on the ground for what the community needs and how we can sort of create a parallel to the Islam Shield Foundation and what our strengths are up in the northern parts of Karamoji, Uganda, where sort of resource extraction is very becoming sort of on, on the map, especially for the Chinese and Australians as well. So that, that was pretty, very, very cool opportunity for me, not having any background in, say, mining, if you want to use that term, because uh, it's so far removed from, from my background, but so, so intriguing to where we can head as far as looking at how charities are becoming super innovative with sort of the private sector um, and finding new ways of funding, new avenues for doing social work and social programming. So that was very cool. So in the span of one year, I sort of became the assistant director, acting as assistant director for Salama Shield Foundation and the uh, social director for Rakai Resources. Um, that's changed uh, in the last few months sort of as funding and, and capital is needed to, to expand the programs. But um, so yeah, so that's sort of where I am today. Also sort of fell into a friend who, um, Jordan Exani, he's the guy who gave the round trip, of the world, or a trip around the world with to, a, to the girl with the same name as his ex-girlfriend, and he should really have him on the show as well. But him and I used to tour through music. We, we joke, we used to be like rock stars when we were 19, and now sort of 11 years later, we're sort of like coming full circle, working together on new projects. But that's sort of in the mental health space, sort of startup for mental health. 
um, in the workplace and entrepreneurial communities and uh, not just focusing on the depression aspects but sort of everyday struggles whether it's anxiety, OCD, ADD, all that stuff that sort of may affect one's workplace environment or what's going on in one's head because they say one in three people are, are dealing with something on their mind. So this last year I've sort of come out with my own sort of anxiety issues as I'm dealing with coming off funding constraints with the charity and all that. But we can get into that later. But that's sort of, you know, 2015 sort of spit me out to where I am. I was going to say, like, uh, can I just, can we just nail you down? We can say, like, you know, one sentence, this is what I do. These one, two, three, four things. Just so ultimately that, that, all this sort of small businesses that I had going throughout my, my African network has allowed me to be the co-founder of Ubuntu Lifestyle, which is a multi-venture company focusing on life avenues. So um, travel, uh, travel and tourism, a coffee, which is an import, importing art, and then also sort of an apparel line, which we're sort of going to be toying with later this year. So hitting those four sectors with Ubuntu, and then uh, acting as sort of more of an advisor for the Bound Foundation, the Bound Company, and Salama Shield Foundation currently. Okay. And bound, and bound's the mental health startup, bound right? Mental health so that's how new is that? Is that a new new thing? Re- just recently? I'm securing funding this week. Um, I'll, if, if you ever have a tour on the show, I'll let you guys talk to him about it because he's sort of more in charge of that. But so, so is this a charitable organization? It's a startup with a charity attached to it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Very cool. Well, why don't we talk a little bit more about Ubuntu? Obviously, I've known yeah. you a long time, and your brother and Mark, he's a great guy. He's down at Duke doing his thing, but. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit, tell us a little bit more just about that, because I think it's really cool, obviously, just a bit of the background on it, even what yeah. the name stands for, kind of what you guys are looking to build with that, because I think we should talk about that. Right, so Ubuntu is sort of a derivative of Ubuntu, which was so, U-B-N-U, U-B-U-N-T-U, sorry. Um, is that an operating system for a computer? Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> Actually, I had, I had my Ubuntu sticker on my laptop, and this guy uh, at the LA airport came up to me and said, is that, is that the, did you start that company? I said, no, that's Ubuntu. I'm Ubuntu, and it's a completely other thing. But Ubuntu uh, sort of is a derivative of Ubuntu, which was used during the end of the apartheid with Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu. Um, the Archbishop. Um, and they sort of would use this philosophy to... Uh, to bring people together, it meant I am because we are, or I am a product of the people who surround me, sort of one with community, the community sort of shapes who I am. So never sort of lose sight of yourself amidst all the people that you care about. And so we, we really, that really hit home with Mark and I, obviously, in sort of our foundational um, history with the Salama Shield Foundation. Um, but Ubuntu was, Ubuntu was sort of uh, the aftermath of sort of like a couple of failures on you guys' previous uh, people we've interviewed on the show have talked about their failures. Well, my failures were a company called the Safari Project, and I was trying to get delve deep into the issues of charitable sort of exposure and what was really working in uh, with charities at the time, but also sort of attaching on to sort of a safari sort of um, social and ethical safari experience. That didn't really work out because we couldn't market um, exposure to charitable impact as well as you can market, say, going on a safari, you're going to see tree climbing, climbing lions, you're going to see leopards at night. Um, so that's sort of, we sort of evolved to call it the Shield, the Shield Safaris, which was sort of a, a direct uh, relationship to the Lama Shield Foundation, obviously with the word. And sort of we, we started breaking ground with that, sort of focusing on travel and tourism and really what people sort of would, um, would naturally gravitate towards in the, in the, in the travel and tourism industry. So... But still it wasn't working, still we were missing something. What really makes us different as a company? And sort of at the same time, Mark and I had um, uh, an art business where we'd import art, we'd import artifacts from various artists throughout East Africa and sell them here to sort of get their 
their uh, audience expanded um, and tell that to any artist in Canada and then they'll kill me they'll say well there's a lot of artists in Toronto in the Toronto area that need that same thing so having a discussion's always been interesting <laughs> when I'm when I'm you know at a restaurant talking to someone about it but um, ultimately we had all these companies and sort of fell into the coffee industry when I was on um, up in northern Karamoja in Uganda sort of doing a social assessment from the community for the mining stuff and my, my business partner approached me and said, have you, have you ever talked about getting natural Arabica Ugandan coffee to Canada? Because it's really, Africans love coffee, but still, and you, you hear, all you hear about is Kenya, Uganda, sometimes a lot Ethiopian and, and actually growing, really on Malawi and Rwanda coffee as well. But Uganda's sort of been off the grid, um, especially as far as like specialty coffee. So we have all these coffee, we sort of these like small companies, but we weren't focused. And we needed to sort of bring a company that would sort of act as an umbrella for all these little initiatives we had, aside from the charity, aside from everything else we're doing with music or whatever. And so Ubuntu was actually a, uh, the name of one of our OVC, Orphans Development Children programs with Salama Shield Foundation. We said, man, Ubuntu is a really powerful word that can be used as a lifestyle brand. And Salama Shield, this got off its, um, when I came on board at Salama Shield, we just sort of did an overhaul of the marketing. So the marketing for Salama Shield Foundation is really, really powerful. We thought, let's take Ubuntu and start something for Mark and I. Mark had been sort of once removed from the foundation. He was studying law. He wanted to come back and sort of get back to his roots, the Africa things as well. So we sort of using Ubuntu to sort of act as the umbrella for all our companies. And now it's focused and every, you know, for the last year and a half, we've really been gauging what our sector, what sector is going to be the, the it sector for us. Is it going to be travel? Is it going to be coffee? Is it going to be the apparel? Is it going to be the import stuff? And we, we were sort of phasing out the, the, uh, the apparel because there's, you know, 101 apparel companies in Toronto alone, but it is kind of cool to see your Instagram followers wearing your apparel on the mountain somewhere. We always get a kick out of that, but bringing, we're bringing back the uh, artistic imports, we had a meeting in New York with um, a woman who wants prints and she wants these prints for hotels. So it actually, we're all about telling the story and each art piece has its own story and that's exciting for us because we never thought that the story could be told numerous times through a print of an artistic import. Right. So that, we were excited about that. So we're gonna be building that out as well. So currently we are focusing on the art imports, we're focusing on travel and tourism, and bringing that global as opposed to just African travel. And then coffee as well. We actually have, we're playing cat and mouse with um, a shipment that's on Ethiopian Airlines today and it's somewhere in the world that we don't know where it is. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that's going to be naturally processed Ugandan Arabica. It's from a new farmer cooperative that we're working with. So that's really exciting for us. Yeah. So, so is your main sort of focus with Ubuntu in terms of the uh, products and services that you provide, is it all mainly sourced on the African continent? Is yes, currently, the, yes. We, that's why we're sort of looking to expand our travel company global, uh, globally um, because we realize that people not everyone's gravitated towards Africa, but ultimately we, we wanted Mbutu to encompass the philosophy in the Western world as well, because the philosophy is palatable to this, this side of the world. And um, ultimately what we're about is showing that you can be innovative worldwide with partners globally through traveling. I know you guys want to talk about that, but it's sort of, how can you build a company outside of your domestic network? And mm -hmm. that's really what we pride ourselves on. We have partners on the ground helping us with the coffee. We have partners on the ground helping us import the art. We have partners that are outsourcing all our, our safaris. We have a comp uh, some clients in um, the windy forest checking for gorillas today. Um, and sort of I have drivers on the ground that really allow me to put my trust in them to, uh, to outsource these, these trips. So 
it's partnering and being innovative and collaborating with, with various individuals and lets us do what we do. And, and so I, I just sort of reminds me of some of my studies that I did in, in uh, undergrad where I did international development. And I remember a lot of the, the sort of discussions we had were around, um, you know, this, I think, fine line that I feel businesses like yourselves sort of uh, straddle where it's, okay, well, you know, do you ever get any sort of blowback or even... Uh, stress about and um, you know being uh, turning turning your sort of charitable works or or even sort of uh, piggybacking on the sort of charitable work that you do in Africa to make money. Do you ever sort of? It's a huge question. Deal with like that, or is that is that something that you've had trouble dealing with? Is that a stumbling block at all, or, or how do you sort of conceptualize oh, that? I'll right? answer that in two questions, uh, two parts. First, first part I'll answer that is. Uh, really looking at myself with what I wanted to do. Um, for a while there, I was I was deemed this like charitable guy, you know, taking sort of his dad's foundation and trying to make it his own, and sort of looking at how to market it differently. And although I'm still very very um, involved with that, I always had this side of me that wanted to you know break out and show that I'm I have these other creative avenues. I you know obviously with my musical history and then sort of the other companies I've, I've tried to start. Um, it was, it was always kind of like, we can do better with charity through business. This was like the, this is how sort of the general public would perceive, like they sort of started to see how charities are partnering with, with companies. But to answer your question more specifically, I think what really separates us is from say a Tom Shoes or one of these companies that you see or buy a t-shirt will give, you know, uh, whatever to a family or a household in, in Ethiopia or whatever. For us, it was always like, okay, let's let's sit back and say what has really worked with Salama Shield Foundation and their programs, and it's it's been the microfinance, and we've had a hundred percent repayment on all our loans. So oh, everybody who started a small business through the Salama Shield Foundation. So your most successful initiative at the charitable organization has been acting as a, a bank, essentially. Yeah, so it has been more of a, I guess you could say, capitalist sort of yeah. venture or whatever. Yeah, yeah. business venture. Yeah. yeah, so we took that, we're like, so okay, so if we're gonna, we, we know maybe the one from one model really, really works for a short term, but looking at sort of our history, working with charities directly, what really works, what's really helping people on the ground? And with Africa's foreign investment and potential for future growth, like it, it's the continent with the, the biggest mo- mobile phone usage increase ever. Uh-huh. You, you go to any sort of ur- uh, rural Ugandan village, and they're on their and they're on their Blackberries. I'm, t- I'm WhatsApping my my driver in northern <laughs> Uganda right now, and he's saying, you know, some lady just almost got smoked by a gorilla today. Like that's <laughs> like we're talking in real time, and that really allows us to to do business in Africa. But to be more specific to your question. Looking back on what's worked at the foundation has allowed us to say, look, Ubuntu is going to be about providing market access for our partners on the ground. We're going to stimulate growth and travel, focusing on Africa first. Have, with our knowledge of going 30 plus times in my lifetime, we like to think we know where it's hot and where it's not in, in Uganda, Maasai Mara, Kenya, Serengeti, Tanzania, South Africa, Kruger National Park, all that. We like to think we have a good grasp on where to send clients. Providing market access, also providing new sort of uh, exports from Uganda and Arabica coffee. You will go to sort of any store. It's not really on the shelves yet. There's a few importers, but not on a large scale. So we want to buy from our farmers directly. We're all sort of fair trade certified and sort of doing it that way. So helping our sort of farmer collective grow as well. We have roughly the 500 to 1,000 farmers that we deal with. 
Um, also with the artistic imports as well, it's sort of telling the story from stories at home in sort of the backyards of, of chicken farmers in, in Kampala, Uganda, around the hills or the tea estates or whatever, these artists painting pictures of their sort of what happened to them that day and sort of exposing those stories that way. So we think that building a company, focusing on Africa, understanding its future growth, mm -hmm. but also sort of the avenues through our partners that let us do that, and our historic charitable background, we sort of know that sort of this cool fusion that sort of allows us to sort of build out the, the company that way. Do so we actually have, have a section on our website that explains why. Uh, people always ask us, like, what is Ubuntu's direct relationship with Salama Shield Foundation? How much of this, this say, let's just say to, for example, how much of this suit is going back to your program? So well, the answer is, is none. <laughs> it's going back in a, in a much greater way than $5 in the purchase of whatever, $5 in the purchase of a 12-ounce bag of coffee. Um, so we really believe in that, yeah. Is that your question? I mean, I think it's... No, absolutely, absolutely. I'm just sort of um, always curious to hear. So, so your sort of view is that, uh, you know, your business venture there is having a tangible benefit, you know, with a group of people that you know well, that you've established legitimacy with, right. you know, back on the mm -hmm. continent. Right? Right. It's very partnership-driven, right? Right. Have... One of the biggest problems with raising capital for a charity is you try, you try we've been asked, how do you guys raise money in country, in, in, in Uganda, for example? And, you know, people who, there's a lot of wealthy people in Africa, and they also give to a lot of charities, but at the same time, they're taking care of their kids, kids, cousins. They're taking care of maybe 150 people on their, wow. on their, on their daily income. Why am I going to give money to your charity when I already take care of 150 people? So if you deal with people like that, have, that are, you know, giving to their, their full-on family network to begin with, you can see how that sort of starts to grow out as well. Let's zoom way out. So let's talk about entrepreneurship in general. Right. So on this show, we obviously talk about building businesses. We like to share with people. Kind of, there's this big emergence of of that in general, the entrepreneurial sort of spirit. What makes you do all these projects? Yeah, I always, I always say uh, entrepreneurs are the new artists. <laughs> True. It, yeah. It's it's. Um, I have a hard time connecting with the word entrepreneur for myself because I. With everyone doing creative work nowadays, it's sort of like, who really is an entrepreneur? What is your goal? What is your mindset? To, like, how do you how do you gauge calling yourself an entrepreneur? And for me, I'm I'm just not there yet. I think I I I think we have some great ideas in the bag, and I think we have a company that has a future, and we we definitely have a vision. And but for me, it's 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 more about entrepreneurship than it is being an entrepreneur. And I think they definitely are two different things. So you can argue me on that, but. So you look at it sort of like a mindset almost, entrepreneur. Yeah, I don't think, I don't, I don't know if you can, you say someone's an entrepreneur for, for are, are you generating capital for yourself? Have you taken the risk of quitting a, a job for six months? I, I mean, I, I did take a leave for a while. I, I think I, I do have somewhat of an understanding of being full on, you are living off what you are creating. But not to the full extent that some entrepreneurs in the world have done coming from the bottom up. Um, that said, I think, like I say, entrepreneurs are new artists. I think for me, creatively, it's, it stems from having a history of always sort of being in the arts and being involved in music and being involved in tons of different avenues that sort of allow me to express my, my creativity. But I think for me, uh, calling myself an entrepreneur is being able to say, look, I've partnered with the right people that are sort of bringing skill sets to the table that I don't have. And I'm, I'll, I'll tell you firsthand the strengths that I don't possess and the strengths I do have. And for me, you know, even with this down stuff, Jordan brought me on onto the, on the team because it's like I think he thinks I have a good long term vision. But I think it's 
being an entrepreneur for me has always been allowing yourself to say, look, I'm not good at this. I need to bring a partner on the ground that's going to help me achieve this and achieve this vision. Um, I bring these strengths to the table so for my brother and I to be co-founders. Maybe together we could say we're you know, somewhat of an entrepreneur because his skill set is a lot more structured, whereas my skill set is long-term vision, creativity, building it out. So that's really interesting. You're almost uh, looking at entrepreneurship or defining it through the lens of uh, Ubuntu, I am, therefore we are. It's always sort of a collective effort. Is that right. I mean, I can't, you can't build a company on your own, and that's why a lot of talk, you guys talk about previous podcasts, like why the CEO gets all the all the airtime and it's it's like well the CEO has had three or four really good people around him to help him build that company and sort of as an entrepreneur you need to really t- admit to the fact that I think for the most part most of the entrepreneurs have people around them that are allowing them to do what they do uh-huh. um, so for me to say at this point where we are in this company currently I don't think that I hit that mold yet not to not to be uh <laughs> not to be like cutting edge of that or anything but especially if you talk about the, the social side of it with the charities and stuff and you have all these sort of social businesses that have started sort of maybe a movement or whatever and those people call themselves entrepreneurs as well movement makers and and sort of um awareness seekers for various causes throughout the world you guys remember the coney campaign like 2012 fine um the, the child abductor into northern uganda and so they had massive media exposure but at the time, people thought they were like the biggest entrepreneurs in the world because they, they started maybe this movement around and surrounding the awareness of what's happening globally. And I don't, I don't know, maybe you can call that someone an entrepreneur for saying, I've, I've created uh-huh. impact through awareness or created impact through yeah. creating social media. Well, it's almost it can be creators or, you know, we talk about like in creators or innovators and in general. I mean, I would argue that, yes, you are an entrepreneur. Maybe that's not a term you like to use, but I think that it is definitely creating things. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in today's game, a lot of people are interested in doing that in, in various ways. And you mentioned music is definitely one, right? It, it's still creation. And I think that I know, Matt, you've written a number of, of you wrote an article on Huntercraft about this exact topic. But let's move over to Africa because I know a lot of people that are listening to this who want to understand a bit more. Obviously, us being over here in, in North America, be interested to know kind of what you see, you know, having a lot of background over there. What's happening over there from, from say, from a business perspective? Like, what do you see for the future, say, the next even five years? Like, you mentioned WhatsApp. Obviously, some things are starting to really to go in that, in that direction. But, like, what, what are you seeing from a ground level that's starting to swell or what's happening over there? That... Uh, ask me that a week after the Ugandan election. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have all these, these dictators and, like, you know, all these, these country leaders who are you know, 91 years old. They just don't die. <laughs> <laughs> they're, still, they're still running companies, sort of countries the way they did 30 years ago. But, if, uh, you, for example, one of the biggest hurdles we have is, is it safe for Safari clients or whatever? Is it safe? So there's still safety issues all over. Yeah, you, people hear about malaria and they, they think, you know, HIV and AIDS, you know, it's, it's out there. And it's, you hear about the Zika virus, which is, you know, derived from a forest in, in Uganda, actually, which is sort of making headway in the news today and yesterday. But it's... That's always been sort of uh, one of our biggest hurdles is, yes, it's safe. Just keep your wits about you when you're walking down the street. But I think for me, the Africa thing and starting Ubuntu was stimulated through the stories that I've, you know, stories I have in my, in my mental pocket that it sort of allowed me to remind myself every day why I do what I do. And it's sort of like thinking back on like my first time to Africa and like it's, I'm seven, I have this relationship with this buddy who lived next door and we had this, we're friends over this fence. My mom called us the over the friends fence, 
over the fence friends mm-hmm. because he wasn't allowed to come over to my house and we were so new there, my mom wasn't sure she wanted me to let me over there. So we'd actually play tennis over the fence. We'd play volleyball over this fence. Um, and, you know, I remember my dad had this yellow car that he would drive around in, in, in Uganda. At the time, there's all these, like, protests happening. And, like, my dad taking me to a traditional healer at the time. And he was doing all his research. And this traditional healer telling me that everything's going to be all right. Like, these are the stories I, I, I hear in my head every day. was why I'm working with a company that works so closely with Africa to begin with. And I think everyone that comes on our trips is always like so fascinated by what's happening, whether it's seeing what's happening with a, a microloan, uh, microloan, and some what someone's doing with that to start their own business, whether it's to buy land or build a brick house, or um, you know, you you know, we hear a lot about people buying bikes to get their business from one place to the other. But I think for me, it's always with with our clients, especially in the tourism side of things, like they come home with the stories more. Um, entrenched in the the actual trip than say some of the stuff that's marketed more like the animals and so on and so forth. So it's the same with me. It's more like I remember being on the tarmac and my dad brought his briefcase and the plane was actually in takeoff mode and my family was running across the tarmac and we went up like that back that back escalator that drops down in the plane in case of emergency. Like we went up that to get on this plane to fly my dad to a meeting somewhere, a really important meeting for a conference at the height of the HIV/AIDS pandemic. Um, and anything from like all the, the animal stories I have, like I'm really f- touching on the stories because it's, it's really what keeps me going back. Like if you want to talk about animals for a second, because those, you know, our hippo chase video gained 3 million plus hits on YouTube and sent us like five years later doing interviews with CTV and CBC and Perez Hilton's own animal blog started doing a special on us and stuff. Um, and sort of from there on, like people started getting, what are you, what's Luke doing in Africa kind of thing? He's getting chased by hippos, but it's because I've been going back and forth so much. But these are the stories. I mean, you know, running on, a, driving on a motorbike, afraid that the whole road is going to be washed out to get to a place and, and getting, actually getting washed out and being stuck in, a, in a, a tiny village for two days and playing board games with like the, 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 the lead mm-hmm. chiefs of the village. and um, I, want to, I want to stop you right there. That you said you were playing uh, with the lead chiefs of the village. Uh, sort of makes me think, I feel like you probably have some interesting insights in terms of the cultural differences, you know, versus, or sorry, that you experience in Africa with individuals, you know, whether in a business capacity or whether, you know, just hanging with villagers, like you said, uh, versus sort of the cultural, you know, business social dynamics in Canada. I was wondering if you sort of had some, I don't know, I guess, observations that you've made over the years in terms of I don't know, just differences that you that you see or things like that. I, I'd answer that there's like really, really is no differences. I mean, like my, my dad would say we're all in this together. I'd say the same thing. I mean, I think it's really, you see it, you see that people are content here and they get sort of discontent by certain factors there every day, but it's the same thing over there. Um, but really what I've noticed is the epistem- sort of epistemic differences between sort of how people think about, you hear a lot about these... Um, behavioral stories of how people sort of contract the HIV and AIDS virus and sort of their worry there and their sort of everyday environmental factors are so different than what we have here, yet they sort of think about it the same. Um, and it's sort of like, you, you know, we have to really, um, that, that's, sort of, that's a tough question. Like my, my mind's spinning with that question right now because more and more stories are coming to my head. But I think it all comes back to, again, the stories with, you know, seeing how women will use the microloans and being in the village impacts, say, seeing how someone started up like a grassroots sort of um, tech-based startup here in, in Toronto, in this building, actually. Or, um, 
you know, seeing how we can have debt in North America, but debt really doesn't exist in rural Africa. That's, that's probably how I would answer this question more specifically as I think about it is, we can incur so much debt in the Western world and still be able to function. Whereas debt, they don't have the concept of debt, let alone maybe a birth certificate, right? Some of these people don't even like, know what their birthday is. So small stuff like that is really like a, a how you have a really a, a big aha moment. Um, but yeah, it's really like how to operate, how we operate here was like so much baggage and that there's no baggage there and still there's so much further behind. If you want to get sort of on that sort of really, really rural aspect. But, you know, I, I don't like to focus on those stories so much because Africa at large is such a happy place with so much potential and future growth. And that's why we're working there um, and sort of partnering collaborators on the ground there. But I think it's, it's a lot more of a, a bigger, greater context when people come on our trips with us. It's like, you know, this is the real Africa. There's big urban centers and it's, you know, Nairobi's blossoming as a city. And like Addis Ababa in Ethiopia is a huge, huge, you know, foreign investment really moving up on the sort of world stages like global cities yeah I was just going to ask you about just like the opportunities you see I think leading to you know what I said before from from the African standpoint if you were to look at it basically being tied to over here and, and the business ventures you mentioned but over there like what do you see really blossoming like obviously within those cities what is driving that what is the main stuff that's driving the growth it would probably be the mobile phone usage, yeah. uh, the, the ability to, to start businesses like we're starting here, but also um, there's been a lot of publications and write-ups and books on the future of Africa and Africa as our future and how if we don't invest in Africa, we won't be exceeding here as well. So it sort of all goes hand in hand. For sure. Very cool. Well, I mean, what time, where would we, where would you point some people in terms of resources, I guess? Is there any... Is there any specific books that you've read or anything? Any people that are interested listening um, to to what's happening over in Africa or any stuff that you guys are working on? Like, what, where would we point some people in terms of resources? Do you have Do you have any in mind? Uh, I mean, the the books I read uh, <laughs> are more. I know as you guys have talked about uh, pre- previous guests on their show here. It's sort of what books make them tick or what books help them on a day to day basis. For me, the books have always been, and maybe this segues into your next question is sort of. Um, I don't focus so much on how to have a you know a, a one day work week or like stuff that's going to help in market my company. For me, it's more like books that help me get out of my own way. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, you know, Alan Watts, the book on taboo against knowing who you are, the wisdom of insecurity, uh, David H. Wagner's backbone. Uh, I just recently finished uh, the Untethered Soul by Peter Singer. Peter Singer, sorry. Um, and these sort of books all focus on. Um, knowing yourself enough to sort of prevent yourself from getting in your own way through work or your personal life or dare I say spirituality, right? Um, and it sort of goes hand in hand with all the stuff that we're doing with Ubuntu and obviously philosophy running at IM because we are. Um, as for specific books on Africa, I mean, just, just you can just Google the future of Africa and mobile use increases in Africa over the last decade and you'll be amazed. Um, yeah, I don't know any specifics to, to give you on that. For sure. Cool. That's really cool. I, I had a question for you, you know, um, just sort of getting concrete, you know, we, we talked about some of the resources there, some of the books that you would say, um, you know, are, are interesting and worth having a look at, but I sort of had a question about, uh, you know, the, the average sort of person, you know, our age, whatever, you know, 20s to, to 30s or even beyond that, like, what, what, if somebody sort of 
wanted to get involved with a uh, social organization or uh, some type of charitable organization in Africa, so, or, or, or even taking a uh, um, social uh, dimension to their business, what sort of advice would you have for them in terms of where to get started and, and what kind of maybe lessons that you've learned uh, that you, you know, words of wisdom that you'd sort of give them if, if that's sort of the, the goal or the, the motivation? Yeah, cool. I think for me, it's in the, the, last, the last two months have taught me is really keeping your eyes and ears open with partnership opportunities. I mean, there's no shortage of charities in the country. You know, there's 60 plus charities in Canada right now, um, all with the charitable registration number. For us, we've always looked sort of beyond and say, our next, our next step is getting a 501c3 and registering in the United States and, and growing to that network as well. But I think for people in, say, let's just use Canada, for example, who want a, a partner, what I've learned is through my, uh, you know, new comings with Bound Foundation and then Bound and the mental health space is we do the mental health space work in Uganda and Zimbabwe as well, in Malawi, with our Senga and Kozic program, which is basically aunts and uncles who have lived in a time of like serious drought and HIV and AIDS and all that. And basically it's finding, find the sort of communicative avenues and sort of new ways to communicate bridge and find new parallels between what you're doing in charities. So for an example, with the Bound Foundation, I'm going to put on an event and it's going to maybe be called Mindfully Ubuntu. We're going to have um, different sponsors and Ubuntu will be a sponsor. Salama Shoe Foundation obviously a partnering agency. But really sort of focusing on how mental health isn't that much different than mental health in Africa, right? There's really not that many, there's, there's, there's way more avenues than you think between the business that you're doing here and sort of what charities are doing. And ultimately charities are actually operating as businesses because they need to and they're all, always asking for money and they're always finding new ways to form capital so that they can actually do what they do. Right, so, so not counting charities out as say just charities and sort of like a, a form of a, how charities would formally be perceived, but look at them as businesses to partner and collaborate with and, and forget the whole, I would, I would argue, forget the whole sort of um, benefits sort of tacked on one from one model, sort of how you're going to actively um, report on your, your successes, right? A lot of people come to us and say, can we see the numbers on how you've um, succeeded in Uganda with your programs? Although we, although we have those numbers, it's a lot greater of an impact than just say the numbers and sort of the, the results-based and results-driven marketing and, and all that, all the rest of it, so... So I guess like, the long, short versus your question would be sort of uh, have a new gauge on how you're going to um, understand your results from a social standpoint and, and really sort of cater it to looking at charities as a lot more than just charities. They're businesses, they're innovative, they're innovators, they're creating like Post Beyond is or um, you are at Dell. Uh-huh. Let's talk a little bit about work-life balance because I think that's something that comes up. I think... The topic right now, obviously you're running a lot of different projects. You know, you just went through a lot of stuff on your plate. How do you, how do you balance that? Like, what do you find is, is helpful in terms of, you know, the, the whirlwind of the day to day? What do you tend to, to like to gravitate towards from that respect? Yeah, I think, I think, uh, getting to the deep of the issue, I think it's really like, like Matt would say, getting to really know yourself uh, amidst everything you do. And I think for me, it's really coming to grips with what's really made me tick and what hasn't. The last year is sort of, you know, you almost lose a parent, you know, you, your charity goes borderline bankrupt and you're spit out of 2015 a totally different person, you know, and it's sort of like... <laughs> I'm with you on that <laughs> yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's sort of like, how do you, uh, 
how do you know your boundaries? What's going to cause you anxiety? What act, actions are sort of, you know, activities are going to bring out sort of your, your anxiety and what's, what's not or what's going to sort of, I, I sort of refer to you as driving down the middle lane of the highway because I always do. It's like, I'm going to get there, but I'm not going to allow the super positive and the super negatives to sort of cancel each other out so that nothing good happens. And a lot of the mentors will say the same thing. They got to really find your own flow and how I would find my own flow is, you know, obviously you hear a lot of people say they started meditating, but I really try and meditate differently every time. And sort of whether it's through a stimulus, whether it's no, this is great though. Daily routines, like maybe you got a couple that you could sort of, you know, give us an idea of. You mentioned meditation, so what's that practice? Any other things that you do? Well, obviously, I've always been a Chad knows we've always been gym buddies. I mean, that's that's never going to leave me. But I think for me, it's getting practical with training that way. What's finding was really going to make my body feel better, and ultimately. Um, one thing I've done is I've really taken the time to visit my parents once a week, which is like a nice reset button. If I ever say I ever got a tattoo, it'd be a tattoo on my on my on my wrist, and it would say reset every time I have an anxious reset <laughs> to say push the button, and I'd be I'd be good again. But um, and I think that's part of the reason why Mark and I got this old sailboat because it's kind of like this our domain to really like you know go and read, and you know when everyone else is trying to find a patio to drink beer, I can go down and. And just think about the day and read that way and invite friends and have stimulate and good conversations. So I think, um, so that's been it. But also keeping a clean workspace at home. I like having a, a place to think. And obviously I spend a lot of time at home, like during the week, getting my week set up. So it's kind of like this, this domain where I can and re- reset there as well. But also sort of learning how to celebrate the small wins for me is, is big. And I don't want to sound too cliche with that, sort of any, you know. New York Times best-selling offer celebrate the celebrate the small stuff, but for us, like you know, this <laughs> last week, like getting our trademark was huge for us, and um, yeah. and sort of looking at where we're going to head this year with the companies is has been huge as well. Um, so really, like understanding what uh, you know where we want to head and, and and keep the vision in place for sure. That's awesome. I'll jump in on that too, actually, because I've been there's a post I'll link to in the show notes on this uh, about thinking time, and I think that. A lot of people, I know I have this problem, I just, you know, you don't give yourself time to actually think. There's so much uh, going on, right? Oh, yeah, no, I, th- I think Matt deals with this, too, as I'll catch him sometimes, like, Matt, like, Matt's present, but he's thinking about 101 other things. Oh, God. <laughs> Being present, right? Yeah. Thing. So what I actually did, just to finish on that, was in, on Monday morning, then on Friday afternoon, it's like thinking time and kind of blocking, actually blocking your calendar and saying, you know, from the, it's early in the morning for me on Monday, and then sort of say later Friday, but those two times those are thinking you block, right? 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 Yeah. block that time so it's like before the work week it's like plan time and this is reflection time I, I do that uh, uh, before I go to sleep I got this rule that uh, no screens at least one hour before bed and so what I'll do is I'll either read or typically um, write in my journal yeah. and that's sort of that thinking that's time where I find time. that writing things down in a journal can Gets be it out of your head, right? yeah to sort of do an information dump or reset as Luke would say I like that I like that <laughs> Awesome, man. This has been great, Luke. Why don't um, always like let's point people to where you are online. Like, where's uh, yeah, we're at mbuntu.com. That's m b u n t u.com. You can find us on Twitter at Twitter, uh, Ubuntu Lifestyle, Instagram, obviously, at Ubuntu, Facebook, at Ubuntu. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll put it all in there. Cool. Get it all in there, yeah. Awesome, man. This has been great. Thanks, Thanks for joining us. Thank you.